Well, you have your pieces of paper that I gave you. I will be reading this, if you're welcome to read along. This is my translation, obviously, of Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. I do not vouch for the ease of translation, uh, but I wanted to show you the structure of the text. I've actually been working on this structure the whole time we've been working in Ephesians. Uh, so I give these divisions. You can see the breaking up of the sections is a little different from the versification uh, in your Bibles. But uh, this is in part based on uh, analysis of how ancient writings work. Um, and then the other part is pretty commonly understood this way. Uh, and I would just wanted to show it to you. But I'm really interested in verse 14 tonight. That's where we're going to concentrate. But let me now read to you uh, the whole passage from Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, the, the blessing of our great God uh, in this uh, wonderful, rich passage. Hear the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every blessing of the Spirit in, high, in the high heavenlies in Christ insofar as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself through Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of his will, for praise of the glory of his grace, which he bestowed on us in his beloved, in whom we have our redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our transgressions according to the riches of his grace." which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, when he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in him for the foundation of the fullness of all errors to sum up all things in the Messiah, the things in heaven and things on earth in him, in whom also we who have hoped beforehand in the Messiah were apportioned to be for the praise of his glory, since we were predestined according to his plan who brings all things into effect in accordance with the counsel of his will. In whom you as well, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also when you believed you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a down payment of our inheritance for the redemption of his prized possession for the praise of his glory. Since the reading of God's holy word. Brothers and sisters, this is a text that you can hear it in this form, I hope, the uh, repetitions. You hear for the praise of his glory, the grace, the glory of his grace, and you hear in Christ, in him, in whom, in him, in Christ, in the Messiah. This is all to the praise of God in his Son. This is a hymn, as it were. It is not a song. It's not uh, an actual hymn, but it's a uh, lavish praise of God for all that he's lavished upon us. There are many repetitions here, uh, and these things are all important that Paul wants to just have these echo in our minds as we think about the great things in this uh, passage. Now, the passage ends in verse 14 and then shifts to a a new thought developing really to the end of the chapter. So we have a long section unfolding in verses 15 to the end of the chapter. But for now, we've come to a break in our thought 
uh, with verse 14. There's a natural break here. Uh, and so it's a good, it's good to pause at the end of this time to focus on verse 14. Now, verse 14, as I read it here, says, who is a down payment of our inheritance, referring to the Holy Spirit. Uh, he's a down payment of our inheritance for the redemption of his prized possession for the praise of his glory. So he is um, for the redemption of his prized possession. This is a pretty important uh, statement in Paul, and that's how it should be read, I believe. And it was curious to me to read the English Standard Version, uh, and here's why. The English Standard Version, you should know, was uh, proposed and executed as a minor revision of the Revised Standard Version. They basically wanted to revise about 10% of the Revised Standard Version. So originally, that's all it was. It was just a smoothing over of the Revised Standard Version, which came from the American Standard Version, which came from the American Version, which came from the King James. So it has this heritage. Uh, And they just wanted to... uh, change some passages which in the Revised Standard Version had become in the mainline church uh, problematic in certain places. So, for example, in Isaiah 7 you have, and a young woman will give uh, give birth to a child rather than a virgin. So they they just changed that to young woman in the RSV. So they wanted the people behind the ESV just wanted to change that and, and fix some translation problems in the RSV. So that's how it came about. Since then, they've had three further revisions, you know, perfections of it in their uh, in their presentation of it. But they retained the RSV reading of verse 14, the key phrase here. And I just I don't understand it. I don't know where they get that, frankly. Uh, I'm sorry. I don't think it now. Now, when I say this, brothers and sisters, there's nothing unorthodox about what they did. It's, it's true what they say, it's just not what this verse says, <laughs> okay? That's the problem. And, in a, and I'm only interested in one thing, what does the verse say? <laughs> Here's the translation that I'm giving you. He's a down payment, the Holy Spirit, of our inheritance, now here's the key phrase, for redemption of his prized possession. Here's how the RSV and the ESV read this. He's a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, instead of for redemption of his prized possession. So the, the problem here is who's possessing what? In the ESV, we're possessing the inheritance and there's until we do this. And in, in this version that I'm proposing for you here, it says for redemption of his prized possession, God's prized possession, is for the redemption of us, to redeem us as his prized possession. And if you, in case you want to know, the New American Standard reads this, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. So there, I'm agreeing with the New American Standard. So I'm not alone. There's two witnesses here. Um, 
But I, you know, I, I would not say this to you unless uh, I, I found it puzzling. I just, I, it's very puzzling. And the RSV came up with that, and I don't know where it comes from. I don't, I don't really think it can read that way. Uh, so it's why I have bothered you with saying this. But again, it's not like what the ESV or RSV says is unbiblical until we acquire possession of our inheritance. That's nothing wrong with that. It's just not what's said here. And we want to know what's being said here. And that's something we're going to explore when we look at this verse now a little more carefully. So the first puzzle we have to puzzle through is verse 14. The Holy Spirit is a down payment of our inheritance. Now, other versions say guarantee or pledge or earnest. So there are four words here in English used to render that word. Guarantee, pledge, earnest, or down payment. And here's, they all really resolve to two main meanings. And this word can have those meanings. So there's, you know, there's just a choice of possible meanings. The first one is pledge or earnest. A pledge or an earnest is something you give for collateral on a loan, and you're not a down payment on the loan, you're giving collateral. You're giving something else that then return to you when you pay off the loan. So an example of this is in Genesis 38, verse 18, when Judah has promised Tamar a young goat. He didn't have one with him (laughs) in his wallet, a young goat. Uh, So he promises a young goat, and then she requires a pledge. And this is the word, a pledge. So here we have, he said, so Judah says to Tamar, he said, what pledge shall I give you? She replied, your signet, your cord, and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her. So he gave her his signet, cord, and staff. Cord is, you know, his belt, basically. Uh, so Judah's giving his signet. Now, we actually looked at that word last week, and it's the word for seal. Remember that round cylinder seal? It's a round uh, stone object that you would roll in uh, soft clay, and it would bring an image. That's a signet. That's a seal. And that's what he gave her. That's basically what you use to sign official documents. So he has to have that back if he's going to do any legal uh, work, you know, in his uh, business dealings with somebody. He's got to have a signet to authenticate documents. And that's what that seal does. It authenticates things. Uh, but But he gave that as a pledge. So when he gives the young goat, he's going to get that back. Uh, the the signet and the cord and the uh, staff. The other meaning is a partial payment that guarantees the full payment, uh, and that's what down payment is. You, This is normally loans today. You normally give uh, 20%, let's say, on a loan, and that counts toward the loan. You don't get that back. That's the difference between a pledge and a down payment. Down payment, you it goes against the loan. 
This is a very common thing, actually, in the ancient world as well. The same word can be found in these uh, ancient letters dug up in a trash heap in Egypt. This trash heap was a wonderful find, by the way. Uh, We find all these letters and and legal documents that we had no idea existed, and then they were uh, dug up in Egypt, and they are a treasure trove of real life. So, for example, we find that uh, there is a list of food items, and somebody paid 12 drachma for an ostrich. Uh, Turkey, it's Thanksgiving, you know, a big, big Thanksgiving meal. This is, this is 12 drachma. Now, now, the drachma at that time was about the size of a dime or a little bit smaller, and it was, and it was copper. Uh, other drachma are silver, but not in Egypt at this time. They were little copper things. So it's a copper penny. Uh, you pay 12 of them for the ostrich. Obviously, the ostrich is more expensive. Uh, Another letter we have is a man named Horus writes to his friend Appian, and he, he writes this, Regarding Lampon, the mouse catcher, I paid him for you as, down payment, eight drachmae in order that you may catch, that he may catch the mice while they are with young. Please send me the money. Uh, so you have a mouse catcher who is retained for his job of catching mice by uh this friend paying eight drachmae to uh, get the mouse catcher. And I, I, you know, I read this to students once upon a time, and they said, oh, yeah, well, because I said, what are they going to do with the mice? He said, oh, they're going to eat them. <laughs> this is a good, good nourishing meal in Egypt. Uh, so, but also, this is in grain. You know, this, this is for storage of grain. You really don't want mice hanging around in your barn. So they have mice catchers in Egypt. It's actually a fairly common thing. You find about, you read a number of letters about mouse catchers. Uh, kind of interesting. And another one, finally, a, uh, the headman of a village contract with a manager of a musical group for a five-day festival, and the musical group is going to get 140 drachmae, 40 pairs of loaves, a certain amount of olive oil, a jar of wine, and a jar of vinegar. Uh, and that's what they're going to get for five days playing during this uh, festival, and they get 20 drachmae as a down payment. So they're going to get a lot of you know, payment for their playing of the instruments during this festival, but they get 20 as a down payment. So that's a down payment. So when you think about this, this is just a common term that Paul is using. It's a down payment. There's a very common way to think about this. And now, however, you'll see that he has adapted this in a way that is marvelous. Notice what he says. Who, the promised Holy Spirit, is a down payment of our inheritance. God has given you a down payment of your inheritance by giving you the Holy Spirit. This is a guarantee, because that's, that's what a down payment does. I pledge to you, I will pay in full when the debt comes due. God is now your debtor. You've lent him something. You've lent him your life. And he has, he has put a down payment down on your life. He will come through. 
This is what you tell yourself when the evil day comes. I've been bought with a price. God has given me the down payment of my inheritance. I have it from him. Who who gives it to me? The Father sent me the Spirit. I have the Holy Spirit as a down payment. Why? Because what's going to be paid in full is the Holy Spirit renovating your body in resurrection glory. Just as he raised Christ from the dead, he will raise you from the dead. You are a spiritual person. And it's not accidental that the blessing opens with, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing, blessing of the Spirit in the high heavenlies. And it ends with this great blessing of the Spirit, this inheritance, down payment of the Spirit himself. Who is a down payment of our inheritance? He is the down payment. When Pentecost took place, brothers and sisters, God is pouring out his down payment upon his people. He says, oh, I will resurrect you. Here's my guarantee of it. Here's the down payment of what you will receive. And now we have him. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 to 22. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. He's put his seal on you. He's marked you as his own in baptism. He's anointed you in baptism. He sealed you for the day of redemption. And then he gives you the spirit in your heart now as a guarantee that he will raise you from the dead. You have that forever. You cannot lose the presence of the Holy Spirit. And now look at what he says. And this is actually why it's so important you render this correctly, I think. For the redemption of his prized possession, for the praise of his glory. Brothers and sisters, we've heard redemption before, up in verse 7. In whom we have our redemption through his blood. Redemption, another way to render that is ransom. The word is rendered either way, ransom and redemption. We have been ransomed. We've been bought with a price from slavery to death. We have been purchased out of death and the grave by a heavy ransom price. The precious blood of Christ. That's First Peter. This is a clear statement of God's gospel. And here now, God has given us this down payment of our inheritance to that redemption, to the day of redemption. We will be redeemed. The purchase price has been paid. The ransom has been paid. The blood of Christ has been spilled. It's all objective. And your growth in grace, your holiness, your confidence in the Lord rises out of the facts that these things are outside of you. And then he gives you his spirit in you, in your heart, as a proof of these things so that he will be with you forever. You know, in the Old Testament, God had redeemed Israel from slavery to Egypt. And then he calls them his treasured possession. This is is from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 7. 
For you are, are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And now he says that to you. You see, he has a treasured possession. This is a term used of the royal treasury, uh, a, a term used for the king's own special hoard down in his basement under lock and key. You are under lock and key as his prized possession. He will never let you go because he treasures you. You are, the th- you know, late at night when he wants to assure himself I'm making this up, of course, but I want you to get the picture of what treasure possession means. Late at night, a king will get up and and assure himself that he's not broke after all. He'll go down into his treasury and, and unlock the locks and open the door, and there's all of his treasured possessions. That's what the Lord does with you. He treasures you. He looks on you as something that gives him delight. How can that be? How can I delight the Lord, the King of glory? This is his rich grace. That's all of grace and his kindness. And then he gives us his Holy Spirit to redeem us, to to guarantee that his treasured possession will be his forever in his presence. Just as Israel was redeemed from slavery, you have been redeemed from slavery as well, to be God's treasured possession. Let me read for you some other passages. Romans 8, 11, and 22 and 23. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Our resurrection is our redemption. 2 Corinthians 5, 1-5 For we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we were still, are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we will be unclothed, but that we will be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee, a down payment. And then finally, 2 Corinthians 1, 21 through 22. Let me read that as well. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has put his seal on us and given us his Spirit in our hearts, as a guarantee. I read that earlier, but I hope you hear all the echoes that Paul tells us in Ephesians 1. The seal, the guarantee, the Holy Spirit. This is what our life consists of. What kind of people ought we to be now? 
people who are regard, regarded as God's own prized possession. What a privileged place we have uh, before our Father. And we all have this. There's no distinction among us. What is more, this, is, this leads us to see that what Paul said here is important to us to keep in mind. Verse 4, insofar as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That's what he's working on us through the Holy Spirit. It is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, that we may grow in holiness and righteousness before him. We, so when we read the law, we confess our sins, we, we come back determined to keep his commandments, to please our Father in heaven, because he's given us all of these rich inheritance beyond all imagining. That's what God has done for us. So in gratitude, we live our Christian lives and praise him evermore. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, it's hard to express the wonders of your love and grace in Christ. Here we see it unpacked for us in these verses. They seem to go on and on, but they really don't. We could add a lot more to this. Just the wonder of your grace to us. We thank you. Do not take your Holy Spirit from us, O Lord. But day by day, let us grow in our obedience to you, our holiness before you, and our love to you. We love you, O Lord. We praise you and thank you. You are our great God and our loving Father, that we should be your prized possession, unheard of but true. And so we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.